0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome out to Grace Church, and uh, we're so excited to have you here as we are continuing in a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago now that we've been calling the Everyday Revolution. And uh, like was mentioned just a moment ago, I just want to say that if you're a guest with us here today, or if you missed the past couple of weeks in this series, I want to extend just a really special welcome to you. Thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for carving out some time on Sunday morning just to spend with us as we kind of journey in this series together. So if you did miss, uh, miss the last few weeks, let me just kind of update you real quick, kind of give you an overview as. To what it is that we've been talking about together uh, in this series, the Everyday Revolution, we said that what we're doing, kind of what we're studying together, is we're actually studying certain passages of the Bible that are sometimes referred to as the Household Codes, and so we, we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said the Household Codes are are a select uh, kind of uh, s- uh, kind of a selection of passages of the New Testament. Uh, that really deal with everyday relationships. And so, for example, we said that you will find these scattered all throughout the New Testament. This is actually just a picture of the different places where you will find the household codes kind of through the New Testament. And we said that in each one of these, what you find is that the household codes really deal with everyday relationships. And so in the household codes, you see that it will talk to marriage, talks to the marriage relationship. Uh, it speaks about parenting uh, the household codes deals with generational kind of issues. How do older and younger generations interact with each other? Uh, the household codes interact uh, talk a little bit about work relationships and how we're to sort of approach those. And it even talks about gender considerations, which I know is kind of a hot issue in our culture today, but it actually speaks to that as well. And so the reason that we've been looking at the household codes together in this series, we said, is really because we're, we're investigating one very specific question. And here's the question that we're looking at together as we look at these passages of scripture in the series. It is, what does God, does God have an ideal for our everyday relationships? Okay, so that's kind of the question that we're investigating in the series together. Does God have an ideal for the way that we're to interact in our everyday interactions and in our everyday relationships? So does God have an ideal for marriage? Is there a way that God wants marriage to be done? Is there a way that husbands and wives should interact with each other that is an ideal for God? Does God have an ideal for the way that we approach parenting? Uh, for the way that, that parents parent their children, for the way that children interact with parents? Does God have an ideal for that? Does God have an ideal for the way that generations speak into each other's lives? For the way that younger and older generations respect and invest in each other? Does God have a picture or an ideal in mind for that? Does God have an ideal for the way that gender roles work? Right. And like I said, I know it's kind of a hot topic issue, but, but does God have an ideal for our everyday relationships or... Are all of these relationships simply to be defined by culture? So does every culture kind of define these things in their own right? So however you want to define marriage depends on your culture. However you want to define parenting depends on your culture. However you want to define those things just depends on your culture. And so that's kind of the question that we're looking at together. And some of you might remember if you were here last week, we uh, we actually started talking about the first relationship that you find in the household code. So we started a conversation last week on marriage. And, uh, and if you were here, uh, you might remember, we said that, man, we, we found something out that was really interesting. We said that as it relates to marriage, that yes, the Bible teaches us and household codes teach us that God does have an ideal for marriage. And we said that, man, marriage is actually something that was created by God And it was created with a certain intent, that God had a very specific intent in mind when he made marriage. And here's what we discovered last week. We said that God's picture-perfect marriage, according to Scripture and according to what the household codes teach, is one that models itself after and emulates Christ and the church. We said that's actually God's ideal. That's God's standard for marriage, that he has created marriage to be something that models itself after and emulates the love of Jesus and the love of the church and how those two things kind of work with each other now that is a huge concept, and I would encourage you, by the way, if you missed last week's conversation, you might want to rewind and go back and listen to last week's conversation. I think that would actually be to your advantage, and so if you go to our website or you go onto, uh, onto our website, you can subscribe our podcast there. You can download, watch, listen to the previous sermon. All of that, of course, is for free, and like I said, we laid a whole bunch of foundation last week that might be really important for you to hear, and it might help this week's conversation and next week's conversation make more sense, so if you, if you missed last Last week, you might want to do that. But as I promised you last week, what we're going to do for the duration of our time today, the whole day, is we're actually going to talk specifically to wives. Okay, so today's conversation, and we're going to really look and sort of narrow down what does the Bible, what do the household codes teach about wives, about the way that they interact in marriage, about the way that they interact with their husband, what does the Bible teach about that. So this should be a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to do this today, And but don't worry, because next week, uh, we're going to talk to husbands, okay, so next week is all towards husbands, we figured that would only be fitting for Mother's Day, so you can come back and kind of hear that, and so I would just encourage you, today's conversation is kind of incomplete without next week's conversation, I'll have to come back for that, and then the final week, we're going to talk to singles, and so don't worry, because we're going to cover everybody um, throughout this conversation. But today, we really want to hone in and talk towards why. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab them once again and turn back with me. We're going to go back to the passage we were at last week in Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, so Ephesians 5 is the most extensive household code of all of them in Scripture. And it is definitely the most comprehensive as it relates to marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5, go ahead and get there. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that's not a problem. We have some Bibles uh, under the chairs, I think, there for you. And you can grab one of those black Bibles and you can turn to page 816. Uh, That's where you will find Ephesians chapter 5. And so like I said, last week when we were talking about this whole conversation, we said that, man, what the Bible teaches about wives is such a loaded conversation that we just want to spend a whole week talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. Before we jump into this passage, I'm just going to take some time. I think it would only be fitting if we just took a moment and we asked God to help us in this conversation. Um, This is one of those conversations over the past three, you know, we had two services last night and one service already this morning. This is one of these conversations that I think is so, so, so important. But I also know that it's incredibly countercultural. And so because of that, I, I think it would only be fitting if we just took some time And we'd ask God to help us as we dive into this conversation together. So let's do that. Well, God, I just, I want to say thank you for your word to us uh, that you have, that you didn't leave us alone in this life to just sort of define marriage and relationships on our own, but you've actually given us your wisdom. And so God, as we, as we approach the things that you have to say here, God, we, you know, truth is we didn't come here to hear the opinions of a person. Uh, we didn't come here to hear mere human speculation. We want to hear from you. And so, Jesus, for that reason, I pray that you would speak to us. Would you meet us here? And uh, through your word, would you uh, would you enable us to understand uh, what your picture and what you have in mind? And so, God, I also just want to pray. I want to pray for me. I want to ask you, God, that you would allow uh, my words to be accurate. That they would not. That I would not um, say anything that would be unnecessarily hurtful or destructive or uh, would uh, would would not be a reflection of your heart. And so, Father, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us an open heart for what it is that you might have to, to say to us today? So we love you, we, we anticipate meeting with you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, okay, well, so the, the teaching on wives and the household codes, like I mentioned, you have several different household codes. And uh, in the teaching on household codes with wives specifically, there are three passages that speak directly to wives. And so I wanna look at all three of them And then after we read through all three of the passages, I want to go back and kind of make some observations, okay? So let's just start with the first one. The first household code that is addressed to wives is the one that's in Ephesians chapter five. So you have that in front of you. So let's take a look. Ephesians chapter five, starting off in verse 21, this is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing in his household code, and here's what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. He goes on, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, so that's Ephesians chapter five. Now let me show you another household code. I'm gonna show you 1 Peter three. Now you don't need to flip in your Bible there if you don't if you, you don't want to, you can if you want to, but let me just I'll put it on the screen here for time's sake. So 1 Peter three says, wives, in the same way, Submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. So that's Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, so he's writing in his household code. Then I'll give you one more. This is the Apostle Paul again. This is in Colossians, the briefest of all of them. Here's what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Okay, so these are the three household codes that teach about wives and how they interact in their marriage and how they interact with their husbands. And you will notice between the three different household codes, there are some differences, right? There's a few differences between them. But you will also notice that there is one very apparent similarity, right? There is one word, one interesting, one challenging, one difficult word that all three of them have in common, right? And what is that? Help me. You know what it is, right? submit right oh yay everyone's favorite verb submit we all love this word right what do you want to do today I don't know submit said nobody ever right and and this is man we talked we were kind of joking about this last week we said this is one of those words that is more offensive to our culture than most four-letter words uh the word submit is one that has all kinds of baggage and it is one uh, that is met with so much resistance and I think understandably so Uh, Because if you think about it, we live in a uh, post-women's liberation society. Uh, We live in a culture that highly values gender equality. And there has been a lot of abuse and there has been a lot of very destructive things that have been done as a result of this word. And so I think some of that is understandable. But here's what I know. I know that because we live in the culture that we live in, when we look at passages like this, we tend to bring with it a whole bunch of cultural baggage. And so we have presuppositions and we have preconceived notions of what lies behind this word. And so I thought what might be helpful for us is we really kind of seek to define what is this whole idea of wives submitting to their husbands. I thought it might be helpful if maybe we could do this, if maybe we could spend the first part of our time talking about what submission is not, okay? Because I think when you look deeply into these passages, you will find not only what submission is, but I think you'll also find what it's not, what it isn't. So I'm going to talk about what submission is not. Then I want to talk about what submission is. And at the very end of our conversation today, I want to get really, really, really practical. I want to talk about what does this look like in real time? And so to do that, you might remember last week, I said, I asked my wife to come up. And so she's actually going to join me at the very end of this. She, she has agreed to do that, which is awesome, because if you know her, uh, getting up on stage in front of people, that's not her thing. Uh, but she loves you guys enough that she, she agreed to do that, and so I'm real excited about her getting up. But she, she'll answer some very practical questions as it relates to this whole topic and ho- hopefully help us flesh it out a little bit, okay? So let's just start here. Let's start with what submission isn't, okay? So what isn't submission? Well, I think a great starting place would be this, that submission is not subjugation. All right, so I think this is a great place for us to start. Submission is not subjugation. Now, what is subjugation? Well, some of you might know the definition of the word subjugation is to force someone into, to dominate over someone or to force them in under your control. That's what it is, okay? Subjugation is forced submission. It is, I am making you submit to me. If you think of like MMA fighters, they fight against each other and they're trying to force each other into submission until someone taps out, okay? That's subjugation. That's not submission. I want you to notice something. When you look at all three household codes, kind of compared to each other, you will notice that as it relates to wives submitting to husbands, there's very similar language that's used in all three instances. In every instance, notice what it says. Wives, this is really important, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Submit in every instance, when you look in the household codes, you will see that this command, that this instruction for wives to submit is always in the middle tense in the original Greek language. And what that means is that this is a command that's given that is directed towards oneself. Okay? So, so in other words, um, it does not say, Husbands, make your wives submit to you. That's not what it says. That would be subjugation. But the submission is different than subjugation because this is an act of the will. This is an act of volition. As we talked about last week, A wife this is something a wife does out of reverence for Christ, out of love and out of worship and out of respect for the gospel and what Jesus has created in marriage. And so a wife is to submit um, herself. It, it is something that she does herself. Wives, submit yourself. And the reason that's so important, and, and like I mentioned, is because you guys know this, that historically... There has been so much abuse, and there's been so many destructive things that have happened around this verse. This this verse has been used by husbands in the past uh, to basically bludgeon their wives into some type of subjugation to their desires. Right? And I, I've seen this before. I'll just tell you, I've seen this. As a pastor, I've had guys come up to me, and, and they've said to me, "They said, Pastor, Pastor, I told her, I told her to submit to me." told her. I don't know why I'm using that voice. It just seems, <laughs> seems fitting, doesn't it? Pastor, I told her, I showed her. I opened the Bible. I said, look, it said, but God said it. You submit, I remind her every day. And, and I'm just saying, listen, a guy who uses this verse as a tactic to force his wife into subjugation is sick. Right, there, and I mean that there is something wrong with this guy because there is something, there there's something, a, a deep misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. There's a deep misunderstanding of what Christ-like leadership is. We're going to talk about this next week. The Bible says that husbands are called to love and sacrifice for their wives like Christ did for the church. How did Jesus love the church? He never beat the church into subjugation, never. Sacrificial love is what led the way for that, and and and, and so I think that that any husband that uses this as a form of subjugation is it's a gross distortion of what this passage is actually teaching. Right. In fact, there might even be some of you here today that when you when I showed you these verses, your first thought was, "Oh, that's what the Bible says." Well, I'm going to tell my, wife. I'm going to remind her. On the car ride home, I'm going to remind her that that's her job. I'm going to show her this later. And let me just say that if if that's your position on a conversation like this, I just want to remind you what the first word of this command is every time. Do you notice what it is? wives, wives, right? In other words, who's this addressed to? Wives, right? In other words, get your own verse, all right? Get out of her verse. This is not your verse. It's not, this is not addressed to you. This is not your mail, okay? This is her mail. So you need to read your own mail, right? Get your own verse. And, and, and you're like, well, I don't have, you have a verse. Did you know you have a verse? In fact, in the, in the book of Ephesians, I don't know if you knew this, but the instructions to wives are 41 words, And the instructions to husbands are 116, all right? So focus on your 116, all right? Don't focus on her 41. And I think that that's really important to say. So just to be real, real clear, we gotta be really clear because there's so much abuse around this. Submission is not subjugation. It is not something that forced submission is not biblical submission. That's subjugation. It's not the same thing, all right? Okay, so that's first. Here's the second thing mentioned. Kind of along those same lines, kind of dovetails with it. Submission is not misogyny. Okay, it's not misogyny. Now, what is misogyny? Well, you guys might remember misogyny is basically the understanding that men are superior and women are inferior. That's kind of what misogynistic uh, tendencies would be. Many cultures, unfortunately, practice misogyny. The first century cultures practice misogyny. Uh, This passage, however, I would say... It's not misogynistic. A lot of times we can read a passage like this and we can say, well, you see, clearly the Bible is misogynistic because it says that husbands are the leaders and women should just submit. And so isn't that like a hierarchical thing where men are superior and women are inferior and the Bible says that men are only capable to lead and women don't, are, are not as capable to lead as men are and, and all of us know that that's not true, right? And so isn't that just kind of like the way that, it, and, and listen, I would just say if you look at this passage and you look at it in the context of Scripture, uh, you, will, you will see very clearly that this is not a misogynistic passage. Let me show you what I mean. Let me just give you one example. You notice in every single instance that it says wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands. Now, it does not say wives are to submit themselves to all men. It does not say wives, submit yourself to any man. That's not what it says. That would be misogynistic. But what it says is, no, this is actually something that was intended for the marriage relationship. And why is that? Well, if you were here last week, we said the reason is because marriage was created by God and it was intended to paint a picture. That in marriage, there's something you're trying to accomplish together. You're painting a picture of Christ in the church. And so this is not celebrating, yeah, you know, women just, you know, if, if you're walking down the street and any guy just says, you need to do this, you go, yes, sir. Like, that's not what this is saying, And not misogynistic. Also, I think it's important to note that in, um, that in almost all the household codes, most of them are written by the Apostle Paul, That the same guy who wrote the household codes is the same guy who wrote Galatians chapter 3. Now, what does Galatians chapter 3 say? Well, let me just show you. The Apostle Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See what the Apostle Paul says? He says, listen, now, for those of you who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone follows Jesus, but the Bible says for those of us who follow Jesus we celebrate in an incredible unity and an incredible equality. That there is now no Jew nor Gentile. That means that there is no, there is no ethnic barrier anymore. Uh, no, no ethnicity is better than the other. Uh, we are all equal. We are all one. We are all equally loved and we are equally valued by God. There is now no social barrier so social status, whether you're slave or free, whether you're rich or you're poor or whatever, no, we're all one in Christ. We are equal in dignity. We are equal in worth. We are equally loved by Jesus. And he goes on to say, and there's now no male or female, that there's no, there's no gender, you know, superiority or inferiority that doesn't exist in Christ. All of us are valued. All of us are loved. And so for those of us who follow Jesus, we celebrate unity. Uh, We celebrate the equality that we all have in Christ. Some of you may have heard that old cliche, the cliche phrase that it's all level ground at the foot of the cross. And that's true, that is true. We're all equal in Christ. Every single one of us is. And some of you might look at that and say, but isn't that contradictory then to what the Apostle Paul just said that wives should submit to their husbands? But here's the thing you gotta understand is that while the Bible says that Christians celebrate unity and we celebrate equality, that doesn't mean we celebrate uniformity. Okay, we're not all cookie cutters of each other. We also celebrate diversity in a lot of different ways, right? So for example, you're different than I am. You're different in your gifts, you're different in your abilities, and I'm different in my gifts, and I'm different in my abilities. Does that make any of us better than each other? No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with it. We celebrate the diversity of the body of Christ. We celebrate the diversity of the giftedness that God, and we celebrate the unity, and we celebrate the equality that we share in Christ. And I would say that it's the same thing in marriage. A husband and wife are one, equally loved, equally valued, but they play different roles. In the marriage context, we celebrate the diversity of the roles that God has created for husbands and for wives. And see, unfortunately, we live in a society today that tends to equate roles with value, and so we look and we say, "Oh, if you if you're in a position of leadership or if you're in a position of influence, you're more valuable than other people." And I'm just telling you right now, that's not God's economy. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. It doesn't. The thing things don't work that way. That's an earthly way of thinking. It's not a godly way of thinking. Right. In fact, did you know this? This is kind of a side note. Did you know that the Bible actually teaches us that Jesus Christ Himself is in a continual state of submission. Do you know that? That Jesus submits. Over and over again, you see in the Bible that within the Trinity, Jesus Christ is submitting himself to the Father. I'll show you a couple passages. I'll just show you one. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says on another occasion, he says, I don't speak on on my own behalf. I speak on behalf of the one who sent me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that Jesus will subject all things to the Father. Right, So Jesus is constantly in a place of submission to his Father. Now, what does that tell us about submission? Well, it tells us this. It tells us that submission is not an issue of dignity or worth because Jesus Christ is just as much God as the Father. He is one with the Father, the Bible says. And so Jesus doesn't submit out of some sense of inferiority or out of some sense of commandment. But it's out of recognition of what God has designed and what he's accomplishing. All right? And so I think if you can look at that, you can really understand what the heart of submission is really all about. It's not misogynistic. It's not saying one person is more superior, more fit to lead than another person. In fact, many times I've noticed that, that women are more qualified in some ways to lead and, and different things. It's not what that's saying. It's just talking about different roles. Okay? I'll give you one more. Submission is not putting the will of your husband before the will of the Lord. Submission is not putting the will of your husband before the will of the Lord. Now, I think that this one's important to mention, even though it might seem obvious. This is one that I've gotten a lot of questions about through the years. And so I've had uh, women who have talked to me and that said, because the Bible says that I should submit, does that mean that I should just tolerate abuse? Does that mean that I should just let him do things that clearly contradict what God's word says and just follow him because I'm just supposed to submit to him? And of course, the answer to that is no. No. And, and the Bible would actually show us, and we looked at this last week, that the reason a wife submits herself to her husband is ultimately out of reverence for Christ, right? Notice the Bible says that a wife doesn't submit herself to her husband because her husband is always worth submitting to. That's not what it says. The Bible doesn't say wives should submit themselves to their husbands because their husbands are just so great and so amazing and they should just, they're better leaders than someone says, says, no, it's out of reverence for Christ. That is, it's out of worship and respect and reverence for Christ. And so because of that, what that means is that if your husband is asking you to do something that goes against God's will, or is subjecting you to abuse in a relationship, that you have to lovingly and submissively not submit to that, right? So for example, if your husband said, hey, uh, let's do something illegal, right, which I don't know any guy that would ever just say that, but if he's like, let's go do something, you know, let's, let's, let's cheat on our taxes this year. Let's fudge some numbers and we're going to get a bigger return if we do that. Or if he says, you know, we, let's do something that God absolutely despises, right? Like, 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 let's not root for the calves anymore. Like, if he said that, <laughs> you would have to submissively not submit to that, right? Because that is not God's will for your life. And uh, and so I think it's just to be real clear that this is not saying that you just tolerate and just, you know, if it goes against what God says, that that, that is territory that you do not submit into your husband. All right, so I could, I could seriously go on all day with things that submission is not. When I was preparing this sermon, I actually started with eight things that submission is not, and for the sake of time, I had to whittle it down to just three of them. But let me give you a definition of what I think submission is, and hopefully that'll help clarify some things. Let me give you, to the best of my understanding, what biblical submission, wives submitting to their husbands, is really all about. All right, This is a definition, before I show it to you, you this is a definition I've been working on for the past few weeks. And um, I think, like I said, to the best of my understanding of what I've studied in Scripture, this is what I believe submission is. With a clear conscience and with, with, uh, with, with just kind of understanding what I've been studying, this is what I would say it is. Now, you might have some input on that. I'd actually be real open to hear what you might have to say. But here's my definition. All right. Submission, I believe, according to the Bible and according to the household codes, is a willingness to recognize and to respond to your husband's leadership, to a husband's leadership. That's my basic definition. It is a willingness to recognize and respond to a husband's leadership. All right, now let me break that down because it's loaded. All right, so let me just start here. Submission is, look at this first, it's willingness. It is a willingness. Now I mentioned this before. Submission is not subjugation. All right. This is not against your will. It's not, it's all an act of volition, and it's out of reverence for Christ. So this is not something that someone forces on you, right? So it is a willingness, and then look at this, to recognize. To recognize what? Well, I think here's a good starting place. I think it's a recognition that God is the one who created marriage and that because God created marriage, that means that he has a specific intent. There's a created intent that he has designed marriage to accomplish. And what that means is that marriage isn't just something that we add our own speculation and our own preferences and we just kind of custom make it however we want to make it to be. It's a recognition that, no, God actually designed this thing And he actually has a purpose in mind that he he wants for human flourishing. And so it's a recognition of that. And what is the purpose? Well, once again, last week we talked about this. We said the Bible says the purpose of marriage is that it's supposed to emulate and paint the picture of Christ and the church. And so if you notice, let me just show you again in Ephesians 5. Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So the Apostle Paul says, in a marriage... The role of the husband, as God has designed it, is he is to play the role of Christ. And what did Christ do? Well, Christ willingly sacrificed himself for the sake of his bride. He gave himself up. He sacrificed his rights and his comforts and his luxuries all out of love for the sake of his bride, and he is now the head of the church. And the Bible says that wives then, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And so the Bible says that wives play the role of the church. And what is the church? The church is God's people who reciprocate the love of God back to him and who, who submit to his leadership within the relationship, within his headship, okay? And so the Bible says that that really, this is kind of the picture that God wants to paint. And so I believe that submission is a willingness to recognize that. It's just recognizing that. It's saying, okay, God made it. He has a design for it and it's for, our, it's for human flourishing. God is not doing this as a burdensome commandment. He does it to help us flourish. And so I recognize, I recognize that my husband, has a God-given responsibility placed on his life that he is ultimately going to be held accountable to God for, okay? And it's also to recognize that God has placed a God-given responsibility on me as a wife, and I'm ultimately going to answer to him for that. And it's a recognition of that. So how does that pan out in real time? Well, let me just tell you what I think that means. I think part of what that means is it means that there has to be a head within the relationship. There has to be someone who plays that lead role. In other words, when, when you and your marriage cannot come to a consensus, when you cannot come to an agreement, when, you, when, you, when you're tackling an issue and you both are completely at odds with one another and you can't determine which way to go, somebody has to have the responsibility of making the final call. And I could just tell you in my marriage, I, I can't speak to your marriage, but I could just tell you in mine, here's how I found that that works practically. Okay, so I have found that in our marriage, we've been married for 10 years now, so it might have been different in year one uh, than it is in year 10. But in year 10, I have found that about 90% of the time, and I'm kind of making these stats up as I go, but I would say 90% of the time, Jess and I can come to a consensus on just about every decision we make. So we can come to agreement, we talk it through, she tells me her opinion, I say my opinion, we, we research things, we talk to people, we'll come to a decision, and about 90% of the time, we're on the same page. Most of the time, we're like, yeah, we agree. That's what we should do. This is where we should go, right? And so that's kind of how it works. 10% of the time, about 10% of the time, we're at odds. We disagree with each other. We don't see eye to eye on something. And can I just tell you this, that in our marriage, about 90% of that 10%, right, I'm real bad at math, so I don't know what that is, but about 90% of that 10%, um, you know what I end up doing? I yield, I just yield, okay, whatever you want, that's fine, right? And it's not because I'm trying to avoid conflict uh, all the time, sometimes it is, Um, <laughs> But honestly, the reason I do that is because we'll talk about this next week. It's what I believe the husband's role is uh, to lead as Christ does the church. Because how did Jesus lead? Well, he gave up his preferences and his rights, and he laid down his life, and he sacrificed for the sake of his bride. So I think most of the time when it comes to preference, I just need to yield to my wife. So, for example, if my wife and I were to kind of get in an argument about what color the walls in the kitchen should be, which is a really bad example because I don't care. But if I let's just say I did care for the sake of illustration, let's say she wanted it to be red and I wanted it to be blue, you know what I would do in a situation like that? I would just yield. Fine. Doesn't you know it doesn't it's it's relatively inconsequential what color the walls are. And if it makes you happy, then I would gladly sacrifice myself for your sake. I think that's kind of what we're talking about. Now here's the thing. Of that 10% of the 10%, I don't not good at math, that we disagree, right? that we find ourselves at odds, and I have a conviction that, no, I think this is the right thing. I think this is the way that we need to go. Which, by the way, I'll just tell you, in 10 years of marriage, I can count on one hand the amount of times that's happened. I don't even need my whole hand. But in the times that that's happened, what I have done is I've said to my wife, I love you. I understand your concern. I hear what you're saying. But I am convinced that this is the right thing for us to do. I am convinced. And what my wife has done, to her credit, in every instance, is she has said, okay, okay. And I'll tell you this much, and she would tell you this, which she probably will when she gets up here. When she does that, it's not always because she trusts me. A lot of times it's because she trusts God. It's out of reverence for Christ. She, her and I are committed to this together. That we recognize, we recognize, man, we both play a role in this. And, and I want to take my role seriously and I and she's taking her role seriously. We're going to trust God that he, he made marriage and he's trying to accomplish something through this. And so it's a recognition of that. It's a recognition of, man, God has placed this on you and he's placed this on me. And this, we're recognizing that. And then, listen, I think it is responding to that. It's responding. It's saying, okay, okay. So, so when my husband tries to take initiative or when he tries to lead, I'm going to respond to that. It's not going to be met with criticism. It's not going to be met with resistance all the time. It's not going to be met with a quarrelsome spirit. I love the way that, the, uh, the, uh, that John Piper, uh, John Piper is a uh, pastor, theologian, author uh, out in Minnesota. He said it really well. He said this. He said, submission, wives submitting to husbands, is the divine calling of a wife to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership and to help him carry it through according to her gifts. It is a divine calling. That is is something that God has placed in marriage that is to honor and to affirm her husband's leadership and to help him carry it through. That is to say that I'm responding to this. I'm responding. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean you never voice your opinion. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you never take initiative. This isn't subjugation, all right? This isn't like, well, I'm just a slave and i got to be quiet. That's not what we're talking about. But it's just saying, I affirm and I recognize and I want to celebrate and I want to allow him to take initiative and take leadership because that's what God has created him to do within the marriage. Now, here's the thing, all right? And this might be an overgeneralization, I have found in my experience that most of the women that I have talked to on this, they actually want this. And I don't, I don't mean they want to submit. I don't think any woman's like, I can't wait to submit. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's the case. But what I mean is I think that most women I've talked to, they want a guy that initiates. They want, they want a guy who takes the role of leadership seriously within their family, within their marriage. They want a guy who does that. Right? So let me just ask you ladies, maybe you can help me with this. All right. Which guy would you rather go on a date with? All right, would you rather go on a date with guy A? So imagine this scenario: pulls up, pulls up his car to your house. You get, you get in the car. And as soon as you get in, he's just sitting there and he goes, <clears throat> "So what do you want to do?" And you're like, uh, "I don't know. What do you want to do?" He's like, "Whatever, whatever you want's fine." All right, would you rather go on a date with that guy, or would you rather go on a date with a guy where he pulls up, you get in his car, and he goes, "Okay, all right. You look fantastic, by the way. All right, but listen, I have..." I have two I have two places that I have in mind. Okay, I've been doing a lot of research. So the first place is kind of this like Italian thing. It's up in Cleveland, low-lit, excellent wine selection. Got rave reviews. Okay, so I don't know if you're into that whole thing. But there's this other place too. It's kind of like this contemporary place, sort of seafood steak. Got great reviews on Yelp. LeBron James was there last week. He tweeted about it. Apparently it's really awesome. So I don't know, they're both really legit. Like which one do you wanna do? Which guy do you wanna go out with? Let me know. Which one? Right, this guy Right? No one wants to go out with this guy. This guy's still playing video games in the basement of his parents' house. <laughs> I'm to go out with this guy. Now, this is who you wanna go out with. Or, or what about this? What if a guy just comes and picks you up and he says, you know what, get in the car. Just get in, I have it all mapped out. I've been taking notes of what you like and what you don't like and I have an evening set up. I think you're gonna love it. Right? What, what woman is gonna say, you're trying to suppress me? Like, What is this, two options? Shh, I'm out of here. Right? What woman's gonna do that? No, this is good leadership. That's what this is. I found that women want a guy who's going to take initiative in the marriage and in the family, who's going to take the responsibility of leading in the marriage and leading the family. Like they're going to take that like it's a divine calling on their life. And I found that most women want that. I mean, is this not the great grievance in society? Is it not? Husbands who don't take their marriage seriously who leave, fathers who leave, so much crime. So much hurt, so much pain, so much dysfunction happens because of that in our society. And wives, here's what I think God is saying. I think he's saying you just need to recognize that. Recognize that and respond to that, that God has created marriage in such a way and the family in such a way that he's given headship to the man and that it leads to health and flourishing within your family. So what does that mean? I think it means this. I think it means anytime your husband tries to take initiative and lead, that you celebrate it. You say, man, I love it when you do that. I love it when you do that. Thank you for doing that. Because I can just, I'll just, I can just tell you this, um, and, and I'm, this is just me being vulnerable. I don't know if this is true for all men, but I think this is true for me. I think one of the greatest fears for men, honestly, is to lead. It's a big fear to lead our families and to lead our spouses. It's huge. And you know why? Because we are stepping out in a place of vulnerability. And when we step out in a place of vulnerability, and we get criticized, or we get resistance, or we get a quarrelsome kind of like I don't want to do what you. What, what are you try You know, whenever that happens, we will shut down. And I don't think we should shut down. I think we need to man up and keep leading anyway. But the truth is, a lot of times we shut down when that happens. And so I believe that one of the greatest things a wife can do is she can celebrate and affirm and make that make make that recognizing that his role is what it is to help him with that. It doesn't mean you can't speak up. It doesn't mean you can't initiate. We're not talking about slavery or subjugation. I just think it means recognizing that and responding to that. In fact, did you know this? Did you know that the Bible in the book of Proverbs actually says that there's two different kinds of wives? Did you know that? Proverbs is always talking about two wives. Let me just show them to you real quick. Proverbs chapter 12 shows both of them. An excellent wife, that's the first kind, is the crown of her husband. It says, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now, that's probably not going to be anyone's favorite verse that they're going to memorize or embroider on a pillow, right? No one's doing that. But I do want you to recognize something really significant in this verse. Actually, my wife pointed this out to me. I thought this was so insightful. I want you to notice how intense the metaphor is here. You notice this? An excellent wife is like a crown. Wow, what a regal image that is, right? What a prestigious picture. Then he says, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. That is a strong metaphor. Why is it so strong? Here's why. And wives, you need to hear me on this, okay? This passage is revealing to you the powerful influence you have on your husband. Man, did you know, did you know this, wives? You can make or break your man. You can. You have an unbelievably powerful influence on him. And I can testify to this. I just tell you. If any of you were to come up to me after service and you're gonna criticize me or you're gonna say something condescending to me or you were to mock me or say something, whatever, I'll be honest with you, it'd hurt my feelings, right? I'm a human, it'd hurt my feelings. But I'll also be honest, I've developed a pretty thick skin over these years and I would get over it. Probably sometime in the next couple of days. Actually be honest, probably during the Cavs game, I wouldn't be thinking about it anymore you died, right? But if my wife said certain things to me, she could destroy me. There's so much emotional connectedness involved in that that she could absolutely destroy me if she wanted to. And this passage shows us the incredible influence that wives have on their husbands. It is unbelievable. Notice what it says. An excellent wife, the Bible says that an excellent wife has the ability to speak life into her husband. She has a way of affirming him and celebrating him and supporting him. That that It's so much so that it's like she's the crown jewel of everything that he accomplishes. He says, but there's another type of wife, and she's like cancer to him, that, that, that like she's constantly eating away at his masculinity, that with every time she, she, she puts him down or every opportunity to nag at him and to quarrel with him, it just eats him alive, and you can destroy your man if you want to, right? In fact, Proverbs, by the way, is always dogging this second woman. It's always dogging the second wife. So let's give you an example Solomon writes this in Proverbs 21, better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Quarrelsome, what is quarrelsome? It it is resistant, not willing, um, nagging, that's what that is. And and I love Solomon's word picture, isn't that a great word picture? It's like, it's better to be in the corner of the roof, better to live on the corner. Can you just imagine driving on the street and you see some dude perched up, you know, and you're like... Like, dude, get down. That's dangerous. He's like, it's better than being in there with her. You know, it's like, wow, that's pretty serious imagery. But notice, check this out. Later on in, verse, in, in chapter 21, 10 verses later, look what Solomon says. Better to live in a desert than with a wife who's quarrelsome and nagging. You notice what happened here? Dude was on the corner of his roof, and he's like, I got to get out of here. He goes, out in the desert. He's like, I oh, got It's better to die out there, right? And here's what I think Solomon is saying, though. I think he's trying to emphasize that wives, your reaction to your husband, your interaction with your husband, has the ability to either cause distance and dissonance in the relationship, or it has the ability to bring closeness and intimacy in how you respond. And so Solomon is pointing that out to us, that this is actually a really big thing, that God can use this in really powerful, powerful ways, right? Now, I'm, I'm going to ask Jess to get up here in a second, but before I have her get up, I, I just want to say something, because I know that as we're talking and we're kind of joking around about some of this stuff it's good to get a laugh because it's kind of a tense thing but let me just let me just talk seriously for a minute that for some of you wives that are out there i know this is not an easy conversation and uh, and i want to have a lot of grace towards that and for some of you honestly you might be hearing this and you might be saying to yourself okay i hear what you're saying but you might be thinking okay but what if what if my husband isn't leading me and my family in the way that I want him to what if he's leading our family in a way that I'm really concerned about I'm really scared about he's not asking me to do anything unbiblical he's not being abusive okay I just I'm just like not sure that I can trust his leadership what am I supposed to do some of you might be asking this question you might be saying what if my husband never leads anything ever never initiates never tries what am I supposed to do that some of you might be saying this, you might be saying, what if I'm a follower of Jesus and he's not? And I'm committed to this and he's not. And what am I supposed to do in that scenario? And I'm just gonna tell you, those are very, very real issues and I'm not trying to belittle those at all. And I don't claim to have all the answers. In fact, I would even encourage you to get connected with other people who love and follow Jesus, other wives who do this. It'd be an amazing thing for you to do. But I would just say this, I do think that 1 is very, very helpful. And I'm gonna show you something that Peter says that I think is revolutionary. Check this out. 1 Peter 3, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. Now watch what he says. So that, he says, there's actually power in this. It actually causes something to happen. So that if any of them don't believe in the word, if they don't believe in God, if they don't trust God, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Now here's what I want you to notice that Peter says. Peter actually says, wives, wives, that your submission, out of reverence for Christ, to your husband is a powerful influence in the life of your husband. That it actually has the ability to change him. That your submission to your husband, you can win him over with that. That that is, it is a powerful influence in your husband's life. And I also think, and this, again, this doesn't always fly well, but I just want to show you what it says. Notice what Peter says. He says, Without words. Without words. Some of you are like, what's that saying? So I never speak up ever? No, that's not what it means. Does that mean that I just have to always sit in the corner and I can't ever just initiate? No, it's not what it means. I think all Peter's saying here is he's pointing out the reality that for many wives, they believe the way that they're gonna influence and change their husband is with words. And so so, so many wives will, will do this. They'll say, my husband's not leading the way I want him to. He's not doing the things I want him to. So I'm gonna make him do this. So I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell him. I'm going to explain to him, I'm going to give him all these words, and that's going to be what ultimately changes the climate of his heart, right? And what Peter points out is he says, no, 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 that's actually, if you decide to go that route, and I just tell you that if you're a wife and you decide to go that route, you go the the words, the nagging, the I'm just going to, if that's the route you're going to go, I believe it's going to have an adverse effect in your marriage and in your relationship. But by God's design, that submission is a powerful thing that can be used by God. So what is submission? Submission. Submission, pretty clearly, is this: submission is a willingness to recognize and to respond to your husband's leadership. Okay, so that's really what it is, and that's what it's talking about. Okay, I have talked enough, so I'm going to, at this point, ask my beautiful wife Jessica to come up. So she's going to do that. Uh, this is her. That's not her, right there. So, <laughs> come on up. Very cool. If you guys want to give her a uh, welcome, a warm welcome, it'd be awesome. Yes. Because like I said, I know this is not the easiest thing for you to be up in front of people, but I appreciate you taking some time to do it. So this is my my better half here. And uh, I just thought that, you know, we're talking about these principles, we're talking about this stuff, but it can seem kind of theoretical. And so maybe you could help us bring it down to everyday life. And so I guess maybe a first question for you would be, when you think about this idea of submission that we see in the Bible, like how does that show up practically speaking in our marriage and in your life physically, emotionally, spiritually, just kind of the whole thing. So how does that show up for you practically?
1: Um, Before I say anything, I just want to say this is just my experience. This is the wisdom that I have acquired over our 10 short years of marriage. So I know that there's many of you out there that have been married much longer than we have and have your own set of wisdom and the way that you do marriage. So For what it's worth i'd love to hear some of that stuff after the service but this is just what i've learned so um, i think most importantly is to address the spiritual side of submission and um, my submission comes out of my reverence for christ like verse 21 talks about in ephesians and so in order to maintain that mentality i have to be in the word daily and I have to be in constant communication with God. And that's not its not something that I can do out of my own strength and out of my own wisdom. It's, it's only what I get from him. And so in order to have that submission in our marriage, it's putting Christ first, ultimately. And so, so that's the spiritual side. And then the other side, emotional, um, a couple things that I have for that, reserving the best of myself for him emotionally is really important for our marriage. Um, I am really cautious about uh, just any interactions with other males because, um, I mean, you guys probably know people. You've probably interacted with people where marriages have crumbled because of things that have started and. Um, I just know that I am a sinful human being, and I am not above any sin, and so just to be extra cautious about that. So for me personally, I'm not telling you what to do by any means, but for me personally, I don't text with men. If for some reason there is a need for that, um, I will include their wives on that. I will include someone else on that. If there's a need for an email, I CC someone, I have accountability with that. We're just so, so careful because, um, like I said, we are not above any sin in our marriage. And so just to really protect that, I think, is huge. Um, And even social media, that is just another danger zone um, where I know relationships that have started and it starts out as an innocent conversation. And so for us, just being cautious with that, um, who we friend and, and maybe people that we don't friend for that reason and um, like past relationships we have been in with. So um, that is just as tangible as I can get with that aspect. So, so when it comes to sharing my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, all of that, that's with him and with only him. And then my ladies. So, um, yeah. so there's that. The other thing is just honoring his reputation. And so the way that that looks for us is when we have disagreements or when there's a problem in our marriage, yeah. I don't go and talk to 20 ladies and tell them, you know, oh, guess what he did? And, well, you know, um, I am very careful that I have select women I go to that I know who love and serve Jesus passionately and I can trust them. I can trust their opinion and they're going to let me know when I'm being a turd and when I need to be redirected and reminded how to love my husband well. And so, um, I'm just really careful about that too. So I don't want him to go do that either. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is physically and, um, I'm sure some of you guys are like, "Mm, Tony probably slipped that in, didn't he? It was my idea, (laughs) for the record. Um, If you're married, you know that sex is just a really big part of your marriage. And it's just the way God designed it. And so having a healthy sex life is huge. And so um, to have that healthy sex life, it means that... um, I got to look at my notes here, that I'm not withholding myself physically from him. I'm not using that as a bartering chip. I'm not saying if he does this, then I will do that. That's just not how it works. Um, So, yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I think that's awesome. Thank you for being vulnerable too. I know it's not the easiest thing uh, to do that in front of a whole room of people, and uh, appreciate that. And I also like that you said "turd." That's really good. And uh,
1: my boys yeah. would be very proud of yes, me right that now. Is right. There's a lot that's of awesome. butt conversation in our yeah. home.
0: Well, I think one of the things you said too, uh, I think would lead to another question. And you mentioned something about how you know we're not above any anything that anyone is yeah. in. It's just true. We're not perfect people, and no one's no. perfect for that matter. But right. maybe you can kind of help answer this question. So. Uh, We were kind of joking around about this, about how maybe for for some of you, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but maybe you're thinking, well, it's easy for you to do this because your husband is the pastor, right? And so clearly he probably, you know, does things right and that kind of thing. But the truth is Jess knows the real me. And so she knows uh, that I'm not a perfect leader. She knows that I'm a flawed human being. Uh, she knows that I don't smell great um, bad. often, really <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> but just uh, mm-hmm. I'm not always an easy person to live with. And so how, how, what has been some of the most challenging aspects of submission for you, in our marriage, in our relationship. So.
1: Yeah, so if you know me, you know I am task-oriented, list maker, got my list right here, and love to check things off, take care of business, get things done. And um, so for me, when it comes to times when I need something taken care of, I need his help, um, his timetable very often is very different than what mine is. And so um, relinquishing that control is really big for me. And um, so for me, that looks like surrendering my frustrations or the times when he's not doing something to God and lifting it up to him and realizing that God's going to do the changing in this. It's not going to be me with my words. It's going to be him changing his heart or him changing my heart, which oftentimes happens too. So um, it's just, I'm a control freak by nature. And so letting that go is is really The hardest part for me.
0: I think you probably agree with me on this, too, that that doesn't mean that you never voice your opinion or that we never have conversations about these things because we do talk about it. But one of the things I think is so, uh, what Jess does so well, just to her credit, is that um, I know when there's, like, you know, in marriage sometimes there's issues and you have to talk through things, but she is really, really good at timing and that that really matters. So uh, Mm -hmm. a good example would be every time we come to approach the weekend, Um, on Friday I start getting tense, on Saturday I start becoming a grump because I'm feeling the weight of knowing that I'm going to preach four services and and do all this kind of stuff, and and so for me, um, a lot of times what will happen is if there's an issue that comes up, Jess will be really good at at saying, you know what, I'll wait to bring that up until after the weekend passes, Mm -hmm. and it's just out of consideration, and I think it's such a a huge and uh, appreciated thing, so that's really good. All right, so maybe you can help me uh, with this question then. So we've been married for ten years, which I know for some of you sounds like no time at all, mm-hmm. and for some of you it sounds like a very very long time. We actually talked to a couple last uh, last night in the cafe that just aff- was affirming so many of the things we're talking about. Been married for fifty two years, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, you guys should teach this. You got to get yeah. up here and do this. But um, but in ten years, maybe you can kind of help. How has your understanding of submission changed? How is that, you know, how is that definition of and understanding of submission morphed over the past 10 years of marriage, you know?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a home where it was me, my brother, and my mom. So a single parent family, which maybe a lot of you can relate to. So I saw a very strong, very independent woman who was a mother. I didn't see her as a wife. I just saw her as a fantastic, by the way, mother. And so I didn't really have a model of what a biblical wife looked like. Um, So when we first got married, There was a lot to figuring that out and understanding how that really played out and how that really should look. And so um, realizing that that was a struggle for me and I didn't understand that, that's where, for me, discipleship came in. And so I had a woman who had been married uh, kind of feeding into me, leading me along the way, uh, being in a life group, being in biblical community. um, All of that helped me really understand and learn what it means to be a biblical wife and how to lovingly submit out of your reverence for Christ. So, yeah, yeah. so it's changed a lot, a lot.
0: Yeah, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will continue to change over the next several years. All right, so one last question for you. Um, You know, I think one of the things that we both we were talking about this last night that we both would agree with is that, you know, entering into marriage, we don't really know what we're doing. And even now we're still trying to figure it out. But I think both of us have found that when we, in faith, trust God for what he has kind of his picture, we've seen his wisdom. Work in that, and it's been amazing just to see what God has done. Not because of uh, not because of our good ideas or anything, but just because of uh, what Christ has sort of put forth in Scripture. So, mm-hmm. how have you maybe in your life or in our marriage? How have you seen God work through your submission?
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: maybe give me an example of what that might look
1: like. Yeah. So, so generally speaking, I would say um, in our marriage there is just a like a, a peace and a harmony and like a. Like a well-oiled machine, kind of. I feel like that's kind of some of the fruit of of um, submission. And specifically, to give you just like a really tangible, specific example, um, when Pastor Jeff asked us—if you know who Pastor Jeff is—he is the head pastor o- over all of Grace—he um, asked us to come to Medina five years ago. And um, if it wasn't for submission, we probably wouldn't be here. And I. Because initially when he was asking us, I'm like, "Ah, no, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. And um, it was a a process of God working on me and God changing my heart and um, not to get too crazy spiritual on you. um, But I was praying one day and I very clearly felt like God was telling me, you're not hearing what I have to say because you're so clouding what I'm trying to tell you by your opinions and what you want. And you're not listening. And so I need you to trust where I'm going to lead Tony and just let it go. And so I came home that day, and I was like, okay, I feel like this is what God's telling me. So whatever you think that is is best for our family and what God wants for us, I am willing to do. It's in your hands. And he goes, well, we're going to Medina. And um, so obviously we're very glad that we're here. We love it here, by the way. Um, But, yeah, so that was – that was just one specific example. And the fruit from that, you know, we love um, what we get to do here. And so just it's such a blessing where I feel like that same situation, if I had been resistant, um, could have really affected our marriage in a huge way. So, uh, yeah, Yeah,
0: good. Yeah, so it's kind of a crazy thought if you think about it that, I mean, even when you were saying that last night, I was like, wow, that's weird to think that if it wasn't for this biblical teaching on submission, if it wasn't for that, the Medina East Campus, as we know it, wouldn't be what it is as we know it because of how God has worked through that. So I think that's Mm -hmm. awesome, and I just love it. So... And thanks for taking the time to answer some questions. I know some of you might have more questions based on some of those things. And I would just encourage you, if you have more questions or thoughts, we would love to interact with you on those things. And so you can comment in the uh, the connection card. We'd love to follow up with you on that. Yeah. But I would encourage you, you know, if this is a conversation that's a hard conversation, which I understand culturally it is, to dig into that more, uh, to mm-hmm. talk with some people about it. To, and, and if you're super resistant to it, I would ask the question of, Maybe really search your heart. Why? Why am I resistant to it? And yeah. what is it exactly that's kind of causing that to happen? So, so next week, we'll get a chance to talk to husbands. So that, that's going to be fun. And then, uh, and then to singles as well. So that's the band to come up. And as they do, uh, Jess and I would love to pray for you guys and uh, pray for us as we, as we kind of dismiss here. So, well, God, I just want to say thank you so much for your picture that you designed in marriage. And uh, and God, I am thankful that you didn't just leave us to inventing marriage on our own terms or based on our own um, our own opinions or our own you know speculations of how we think it should work, but that you have given us a design that is so wise and a design that is so good. Uh, but honestly, it takes a lot of faith. And so, Father, I pray. I want to pray specifically for the wives that are in this room, or for the women who will enter into that stage of life, God, and I want to pray, Father, that you would give them give them wisdom, but I pray that you would give them a, a heart of, uh, of humility, and Lord, help, help wives with this. It's not an easy principle. There's so much in culture that is fighting against this, and, and so, God, I pray that you would allow them to have wisdom to know how to navigate in their marriage, how to practice this in their marriage. Father, I pray you would give wives faith, uh, faith to trust you, uh, even above um, their husbands or themselves. And uh, and Lord, I pray that you would generate that in the heart of uh, hearts of wives here today, God. Give them perseverance and give them strength um, as this is not always an easy thing. Uh, but God, again, we, we see your wisdom and we see your power and we realize, God, that you're a good God. You're a loving father. You don't do things or command things because they're burdensome or because they're heavy or because they're difficult or because you like to see us squirm. Everything that you do and everything you ask is because you love us and it's because you care for us and you want the best for us and so father I pray that you would instill that faith in us today God and so thank you for uh, this conversation thank you for my wife God just a, a crown of a wife and and just the uh, just the blessing that it is and and God I know that our marriage is not perfect and we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but God you're good and we've seen we've seen your power uh, and your wisdom at work in our lives and I want to say thank you for that. So, God, I want to pray also for marriages that are in this room that are suffering and that are broken and that are hurting. And, Father, we pray that you would fix broken things, that you would repair broken marriages. And, God, I ask for that. I ask for the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to be at work within the marriages here at our campus. And we just want to lift these things up, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.